I'm now going to share with you my thoughts on Cantos 21 through 25 of Tennyson's In Memoriam, A.H.H. In Canto 21, Tennyson imagines himself sitting by his friend's graveside, writing mournful lines of poetry. He describes how passers-by deride him for his weakness, for making a show of his pain that he may earn praise for his devotion, or for elevating his private sorrow over the much greater concerns of politics and science. But Tennyson greets their derision with contempt. They don't understand. They never knew the man he mourns. His tragic song is as necessary and as natural as that of the bird whose young have been stolen away. I love the confidence with which he asserts himself in defiance of their criticism. He is not weak. This is not a show. And his priorities are not out of order. This man meant the world to him. And he mourns because he must. Here's Canto 21. I sing to him that rests below. And, since the grasses round me wave, I take the grasses of the grave, And make them pipes whereon to blow. The traveler hears me now and then, And sometimes harshly will he speak. This fellow would make weakness weak, And melt the waxen hearts of men. Another answers, let him be, He loves to make parade of pain that with his piping he may gain the praise that comes to constancy. A third is wroth. Is this an hour for private sorrow's barren song, when more and more the people throng the chairs and thrones of civil power? A time to sicken and to swoon, when science reaches forth her arms to feel from world to world, and charms her secret from the latest moon. Behold, ye speak an idle thing, ye never knew the sacred dust. I do but sing, because I must, and pipe but as the linnets sing. And one is glad, her note is gay, for now her little ones have ranged. And one is sad, her note is changed, because her brood is stolen away. Canto 22 Tennyson contemplates the path he and his friend traveled, with glad hearts and cheery songs, over four years of friendship. And then, in the fifth year, death lay in wait and stole his friend away. Now, though in spirit he pursues his friend with anxious haste, he knows he can never find him again. And the darkness that has overtaken him has made him conscious of his own impending death. In this canto, I felt myself carried along Tennyson's very path, as it descended from cheery sunshine into shadowed fear, from pleasant tracts of flowers and sweetness and cheerful song, sloping downward into darkness and cold and waste. I was made to see and feel and endure the way in which Tennyson's whole universe fell under a dark shadow when he lost his dearest friend. Here's Canto 22. The path by which we twain did go, which led by tracts that pleased us well, through four sweet years arose and fell from flower to flower, from snow to snow. 
and we with singing cheered the way, and, crowned with all the season lent, from April on to April went, and glad at heart from May to May. But where the path we walked began to slant the fifth autumnal slope, as we descended following hope, there sat the shadow feared of man, who broke our fair companionship, and spread his mantle dark and cold, and wrapped thee formless in the fold, and dulled the murmur on thy lip, and bore thee where I could not see, nor follow, though I walk in haste, and think that somewhere in the waste the shadow sits and waits for me. Canto 23 Sometimes consumed by his own sorrow, and other times giving it voice in verse, Tennyson often wanders back to the scene in which his friend succumbs to the shadow, and he falls lame at the shadow's feet. The shadow is death, the keeper of the keys of all the creeds, because it is only in death that we can learn the secrets that death holds. Looking back at the path they traveled together, or ahead to the days that followed, he is struck by a terrible change. It was once alive with the hillside's rustling leaves and happy murmurs, as he and his friend communed without even the need for speech. The joy of springtime was in the air and in their blood, and they wandered the fields in deep discussion of their mutual love for ancient philosophy. This canto contains some of my favorite lines of all. What greater bliss can one experience than a meeting of the minds so perfect that you feel yourself understood without speaking? And can that experience be captured in words more beautiful than this? When each by turns was guide to each, and fancy light from fancy caught, and thought leapt out to wed with thought, ere thought could wed itself with speech. Also, on a personal note, I have a daughter studying great books, which in her first year consists predominantly of ancient philosophy, in the peaceful, verdant hills of Santa Paula, California. I can imagine her hiking the trails with her friends, inspirited by the spring air and by thoughts of the ancient Greeks, their surroundings seemingly alive with divine ideas and Arcadian flutes. Here's Canto 23. Now, sometimes in my sorrow shut, or breaking into song by fits, alone, alone to where he sits, the shadow cloaked from head to foot, who keeps the keys of all the creeds, I wander, often falling lame, and looking back to whence I came, or on to where the pathway leads, and crying, how changed from where it ran, through lands where not a leaf was dumb, but all the lavish hills would hum the murmur of a happy pan, when each by turns was guide to each, and fancy light from fancy caught, and thought leapt out to wed with thought, ere thought could wed itself with speech. And all we met was fair and good, and all was good that time could bring, and all the secret of the spring 
moved in the chambers of the blood. And many an old philosophy on Argive heights divinely sang, and round us all the thicket rang to many a flute of Arcady. Canto 24 But were their days together as perfect as he recalls? After all, even the very source of day, the sun, is marred by spots of darkness. Nothing since the dawn of man has ever been purely good and fair. Perhaps the haze of grief magnifies their gladness? Critic Alfred Gaddy suggests that this line refers to the ancient Greek theory, later disproven by Ptolemy, that objects can be magnified by vapor. But in any case, our present sorrow can certainly lead us to aggrandize our past happiness. Or, he thinks, perhaps distance has obscured all imperfections. Or hindsight allowed him to see past them to the true glory of what was. Here again is Canto 24. And was the day of my delight as pure and perfect as I say? The very source and fount of day is dashed with wandering aisles of night. If all was good and fair we met, this earth had been the paradise it never looked to human eyes, since our first sun arose and set. And is it that the haze of grief makes former gladness loom so great? The lowness of the present state that sets the past in this relief? Or that the past will always win a glory from its being far, and orb into the perfect star we saw not when we moved therein? Canto 25 this canto contains a line that literally stopped my breath. If you listen to my original recording, you will hear a pause when I had to recover myself before I could go on. Tennyson says that despite the gloss of hindsight, he knows that even when his friend was alive, there were burdens to bear. But what made these burdens feel effortlessly light, what made him love them even, was the fact that they were shared with one who loved him and whom he loved. He was unwearied by his burdens, because they were always cleaved in half, and shared with one who always treated Tennyson's burdens as his own. It reminds me of that immortal line from Song, and originally from a book on the parables of Jesus. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Here's Canto 25. I know that this was life, the track whereon with equal feet we fared, and then, as now, the day prepared the daily burden for the back. But this it was that made me move as light as carrier birds in air. I loved the weight I had to bear, because it needed help of love. Nor could I weary heart or limb when mighty love would cleave in twain the lading of a single pain and part it, giving half to him. <laughs> 